May only truth be spoken here and only truth be heard. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This is the last week that we, all summer we've been reading stories, kind of semi-continuously, stories here and there from the book of Genesis. And this is the week where we wrap up. And it leaves me thinking about what's important. What have we learned from following this family who are our ancestors? What have we learned from following this family from Abraham, Sarah and Hagar to Isaac and Rebecca to now Jacob and Rachel and Leah? And one of the things that I want to propose that we might learn from this journey through this portion of Genesis is that you might have noticed that this family is a little, has its problems, is a little bit dysfunctional, might even compare to our own families, I don't know. So these ancestors of ours, were they perfect? They were not. That is a rhetorical question. They were not perfect. God was faithful to this family. When Abraham was an old man, God took Abraham out into the wilderness under the stars. And God said to Abraham, look up. And Abraham saw all the stars of heaven. God said to Abraham, as many stars as you see, so will your descendants be. And you will be blessed, and you will be a blessing to every nation. Now, Abraham didn't have any children yet, so this was a, quite the promise. And God was faithful to that promise because Abraham and Sarah did have children. They tried to go about it their own way first, and we saw how that worked out with Hagar and Ishmael. They did have children, and that ch those children had children. And in each generation, the family did some things that were good and some things that we might kind of raise an eyebrow at even today. In today's story, we see that Jacob is in his home country. He's back in the country where his mother came from, where his grandfather Abraham came from. And he is with his uncle Laban, and he has gone there to get himself a wife. Okay, So, what, do we remember why he's there really though? Because the wife thing is kind of a pretext. Just a few stories back, Jacob had dressed up like his brother. He put on his brother's clothes, and because his brother was a man who was kind of a hairy man, he had uh, gone along with his mother's plan. They had put goat skin on his arms. And they did all of this to fool his blind father. His blind father wanted to bless Esau, 
the older twin. When Jacob and his mother Rebekah got wind of this, this was their plan, that Jacob would dress up like Esau. And so when his blind father felt his arms, well, he was hairy, like his brother. And when his father pulled him close to smell him, he smelled like Esau because he was wearing Esau's clothes. And so his father laid his hand on him and he gave him that blessing. When Esau came home, he found out that the blessing had been stolen from him. And he was not too pleased about that. He said, as soon as my father dies, I'm going to kill my brother. This is such a loving family. <laughs> and so, Rachel, uh, Rebecca, the, the mother of these two boys, she hears about this. She pulls Jacob aside. She said, you better get out of here. And so she goes to her husband and she said, these Canaanite women are going to be the death of me. And she says, if, if, if my son, if my son Jacob marries one of these women, I do not know what I will do. And so Isaac says, well, maybe we should send him back to the home country to get a wife. And Rebecca says, that's a great idea. And by the way, he'll be out of the house when his brother's ready to kill him. So off Jacob goes to the home country. So he has gone back to see his uncle Laban to get himself a wife, but he's also gone to get away from his brother who is justifiably angry at him. And then last week we heard the story of what happens while he's on that journey. While he's on that journey, he's in the desert. He lays his head down on a stone. In his dream, he sees the angels of God ascending and descending from heaven. And God stands next to him. And God said, the promise I made to you, to your grandfather Abraham, the promise I made to your father Isaac, I make that promise now to you too. Jacob has an encounter with the living God and when he wakes up from the dream, he says, surely God was in this place, and I didn't know it. And he also says, because God has been faithful to my family from generation to generation, I too am going to be faithful now to God. I am going to keep my side of this commitment. and I am going to do what God says to do. And he puts up a stone. He anoints the stone with oil to establish his pledge to be faithful to God, the way God has been faithful to him and to his family, whether or not we think they deserved it. That doesn't seem to have mattered so much to God. The point is that God was faithful to them, not because of how great they were, but because of how great God is. God was faithful to this family and still is for thousands of generations. Jacob, having made this commitment, continues on his journey to the home country. And that's the story we have today. He sees his beautiful cousin Rachel, falls madly in love with her, makes a bargain with his uncle that he will work for his uncle for seven years. And at the end of the seven years, he will marry Rachel. 
Now, Uncle Laban has two daughters. One we heard today in the translation we hear, it says she has lovely eyes, but that is a, an adjective that can also be translated as weak. Um, so we might hear that as, well, she had lovely eyes. Like, she had a nice personality. Um, but it could also be, uh, you know, her eyes were weak. She, she had, you know, maybe this is uh, an indicator of one of her troubles. That word can be translated in a couple ways. Either way, it's clear that Laban has these two daughters and not, maybe perhaps not a lot of prospects for one of them. So Laban's got this plan. He switches the daughters after Jacob's had too much wine at the wedding feast. And in the morning, it's Leah. Okay. That's the story we heard today. And that's the background for the story. Now, who's not such a prominent figure in this story that we heard, this, this piece of the story that we hear today? It's God. We don't know what God thinks about all these goings on. We don't know what God thinks about this deal made between two men concerning the future of two women. We don't know what God feels about whether Jacob was making a wise choice in making the deal, whether Jacob was making a wise choice in, um, in falling in love with Rachel. Nor do we see anyone in this story turning to God and asking what God thinks about this. We don't see anyone praying for guidance. We don't see anyone asking for help. In spite of the fact that Jacob had just said, like two seconds ago, that he was going to be faithful to the God of his ancestors, who was faithful to him. Basically, the very next day, he goes and gets himself into a situation where it appears from the story we have that for seven years, Jacob doesn't give a whole lot of thought to who God is and what God wants and where God is in his life. And this is really important, because I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of experiences in my life where I have an encounter with the living God. Something happens in my life that convinces me that God is really present in my life, that God is faithful to me, that God is faithful to us, that, God, that the God of love has never left our side. And then, the very next day, I'm going about my life as though there were no God for me to consult with. There were no God for me to pray to. I forget so easily the promises I made yesterday and the commitment I made just moments ago to be faithful to the God who is faithful to me. None of us are perfect, and despite our best intentions, especially in those moments when we find our spirits renewed. We're going to go through seasons of our life where we aren't prayerful or where we don't trust that God is with us to guide us. 
We're going to go through times where we doubt. And even more likely, we're going to go through times where we just kind of forget about it. It's easy, especially if things are going well for us. It's easy to think, well, I'm going to make this a deal. I'm, gonna, I, I'm in love with this woman. I'm going to do such and such. That's exactly what happens to this family over and over again. They go through these rhythms of life. They encounter God, and then so easily, they forget that God is there at all. When St. Paul writes, he knew of the situation so intimately generations down from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. St. Paul wrote, we do not know how to pray as we ought to pray. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever had the experience where you don't have the words to say or you find that you haven't prayed as you know you've been called to pray? St. Paul says, we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Holy Spirit prays within us in sighs too deep for words. Our ancestors, our ancestors in faith, our ancestors who brought us before the living God, just like us, we, like them, don't always pray as we ought. But God was faithful to them, not because of how faithful they were, not because of how great they were, and not because they earned it, because of how great God is and how faithful God is. God is within us, praying. We can never stop praying. Any more than we could stop our heartbeat or stop breathing, we don't have the power to stop praying. Because as St. Paul told us, the Holy Spirit is within us, praying in sighs too deep for words. So even when I don't have the words, God does. Even when I can't be faithful the way I want to, God can be. Even when I forget to ask for help, the Holy Spirit is asking for help on my behalf. And that is why St. Paul writes that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. This piece of Romans, Romans chapter 8, it might be familiar to you, it might be loved by you. If you don't know it, I want you to take your Bible, if you have one at home, and I want you to mark this chapter. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we can get you one. But also, keep this 
Take this page out of your bulletin and pin it up somewhere. Even when we don't know how to pray as we ought, the Holy Spirit prays within us in sighs too deep for words. And so, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things yet to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God, which for us has been revealed to us in Christ Jesus and has been revealed to our ancestors and to others. God is faithful. And there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from that faithfulness. And nothing in all creation that can separate us from that love. I want to close with the image of that mustard seed. Because sometimes the reality that we can't be separate from God is hidden from us. And that's what Jesus is talking about in all these parables today. Every one of them talks about the kingdom of God as something hidden, a tiny seed that grows into a shrub of no account mustard. Have you ever seen mustard? If you plant one mustard in your garden, there's like 10,000 mustards a little while later. And all the birds of the air have their home in them. Again, you put a little bit of yeast in. It's barely anything you can see, but it leavens the whole batch. All of these parables are how the kingdom of God is present and God's love is present even when it seems hidden. So there is nothing that we can do or not do, nothing that we can remember or forget that will separate us from the love of God which has been revealed to us in Christ Jesus. And if there's one thing that I want you to take away from our journey through Genesis, it is that. God is faithful to you. And God loves you. And nothing changes that. Amen.